Well, welcome back to Two Pastors and a Mic. My name is Corey. And I'm Shanik. And we're so grateful for all of you who listen each and every week. I know we probably sound like a broken record, but thank you for tuning in. Please share, comment, leave a review on Apple Podcasts if you haven't already. Text this to somebody who is like, hey, this message is for you, even though it's probably for you. Yeah, absolutely. Share this podcast. <laughs> Copy the link and send it to somebody this week. Heck yeah. Question of the week. You ready? Let's Got go. a good one this morning. Yep. What is your morning routine? My morning routine. Actually, it changed back the very first day of my sabbatical. It was May 3rd. I don't know why I know that, but I do. May the 3rd. That's very detailed. I started a new regiment where I set my alarm for 545. I hit snooze one time, and then I'm out of bed at 553. (laughs) And I get up, I get dressed, and I get to the gym by 615, and I do a workout. I actually hired, um, well, my brother-in-law, who's also a personal trainer, so I'll pay him a little bit, not his full rate. You get the family discount. I do get a good family discount. But on Monday, Wednesdays, Friday, I work out with him for an hour. Tuesdays and Thursdays, I'm there by myself, but it's all good. And then I get home, I get a protein shake, I make sure kids are ready, uh, got all the stuff they need for for school that day, load them up. And Isaac's already gone by this time. Mel does all the stuff with Isaac, make sure he's on the bus and whatever, and uh, make sure Malachi is at least awake at this time. But then I drive my kids to school every day. I've been doing it now. This is the, I think, 11th year in a row. Every school morning, I take my kids to elementary school. So we just have a good time. We sing songs. We pray. We talk about the day. Our favorite is Wednesdays because you know that Geico commercial that was about hump day, the camel? Mm -hmm. Hump day. And so we actually play that video every Wednesday morning. I've been doing it now for 11 years. We even with Isaac, now I'm doing it with Titus and Jude. And we sing along to, to hump day and it's Wednesday and man, just bless them going out, get home, make sure the Malachi gets on the bus and uh, then I'm ready to roll. And that's my what time. Routine. What time are you about ready to roll? I'm ready to roll. I, Malachi catches the bus at 8.15. So, so then 8.20, 8.30, you're ready to roll. You yep. come to the office? Sometimes come right to the office. Sometimes go right down, run errands. Sometimes, uh, so Melanie leaves for work at 9.05. So you get a little coffee Every day time. she works. So we actually, on those few days that she um, has to go to work. Morning we, delight. Uh, morning delight. <laughs> um, I mean, it is delightful to spend some time with Melanie. No, uh, we, <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of blushing over here right now. No, we don't. No, I ain't going to say we do that. But um yeah, we have our morning coffee, and then she leaves at 9.05, and then I come into the office. So that might have been was, way more than what she wanted to know. But That was a lot That's of my morning routine. Morning routine. What about you? Very similar. Wake up, 6, work out, wake up my kids at 7.05, get them dressed. Man, for me, brushing my daughter's hair, my wife hates it when I don't take the time to make Scarlett's hair look nice. Cause I've sent her to school with bedhead and she picked her up and been like, are you serious <laughs> all day? This like do you braid it and everything or just brush? No, it? I can't braid it. Just brush it and put it in a ponytail. Cause sometimes I just brush it and put a bow in it. And Julia still gets mad at me about that. She wants ponytail, but it's so frustrating for me. I, I can't do, I can't do the hair thing, but yeah, I get the kids ready, pack their lunches, make their lunches, drive them to school every morning and out by eight fifteen. Then I come up to the office and, no. You're a really Get good to the dad. Grind. 
You huh? really are. You're a really good dad. Thanks. I appreciate yeah. that. I made it seem like I was a really good dad, but Melanie does like three times the work I do in the mornings. Well, with the Julia kids. does a lot too. <laughs> Julia has to pick the kids up and spend time with them for the first three hours before I get home. So, well, there you go. We all do our part. We do a lot. Yeah, so, what so are we talking about today? I was going to ask you what we're talking about, but well, I'll just jump right into it. So, we've been going over our book, Transitioned. Mm-hmm. The last two weeks, we've had podcast on it. I think they've been great conversation. And hopefully it's been bringing you clarity in just living out new covenant stuff today and realizing that heaven is here and it's now and we get to partake in it. And so I love what we've been talking about. But today we're going to continue that conversation around a few things we talk about in the book. And specifically, I think we're going to be talking about the new heavens and the new earth, because I think to get a full picture of the covenant we live in, we have to understand this topic on new heaven and new earth. Yeah, because remember, Scripture cannot mean something to us today that it wouldn't have never meant to the original authors and audience. And so a lot of times people are talking about this, waiting for the new heavens and the new earth because of a couple Scriptures that aren't, well, really are just taken out of context and they don't understand the full revelation of that. And so the transition from the old covenant to the new covenant, the old covenant temple system to now the new covenant being we're the temple system, Mm -hmm. our bodies are temples, and Christ dwells in us. Like this revelation is monumental for living in the kingdom today and for operating with this kind of mentality of we're not waiting, so to speak, for, for Christ to come back and fix everything. Christ now lives in us, and he's given us the power to fix things. And there are several verses that speak to us being the temple of God today, right. and he dwells in us. Right, yeah. The first one is 1 Corinthians 3.16, and Paul just writes, Do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? I mean, that is so direct. A few chapters later, in uh, chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, he says, Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16, it says, we are the temple of the living God. And so it is so clear that in the new covenant, we are now the temple. Mm-hmm. It's not an old building or a place that you go make sacrifices, right? Because Jesus is the once for all sacrifice and now yeah. his spirit dwells in us. And I think people can get around this revelation of like, oh yeah, of course. But this is so monumental because it's not... Christ or God didn't create the heavens and the earth and call it good just to have to destroy it, right? to recreate it. And in fact, there are no New Testament verses of promise in regards to a geographical piece of property. The Old Testament is full of it. The promise of the old was the promised land. The promise of the new is a man, Jesus, who now lives in you. And I love uh, one of the teachers that I'm, I'm in this class. He talks about the fact that we contain what this universe cannot because we were created in his image and likeness. So the universe doesn't even contain the image and likeness mm. of Christ. Mm, Humanity is the only uh, created thing that, that carries the image and likeness of God. And so we have to understand and start beginning to switch this perspective of Again, we talked about it a couple episodes ago of, of getting to heaven and recognizing that heaven now lives in us. And it's our job to live in such a way that people get excited about, that, that the world begins to change, that we actually take care of the earth because it was created good 
and doesn't need to be destroyed and recreated. Right. And this is what we talk about in the book on specifically pages 54 and 55, mm-hmm. where the the idea is a new heaven and new earth. But we have to address this because people just hear new heaven or a new earth, and they just automatically ex- assume that God will eventually be making a new earth. But if you believe that, here, here's the problem with that. If you think that one day there's going to be a new earth created, and a lot of people do believe that and take that verse very literally. But if you believe that God will eventually establish a new earth or create a new earth, then there is a obvious blatant contradiction in scripture because there are seven places that actually say that the world or the earth will last forever. There's Psalms 37 verse 29, Psalm 28, uh, sorry, 78, verse 69, Psalm 93, verse 1, 96, 10, 104, 5, 119, 90. And my biggest or favorite one to look at is Ecclesiastes 1, 4. And here's what, here's what it says. And this is Solomon. And he just says, generation, generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. Mm-hmm. And so if people believe that there's going to be a new earth created one day and this earth is going to be destroyed, then they have to say that this is a contradiction and something in scripture that's not true because Solomon said that the earth is going to remain forever. Yeah. So which one is it? <laughs> Here, I got some more food for thought. You yeah. ready for this? Go ahead. If the new heavens and the new earth are talking about afterlife heaven, Revelation twenty two eleven reveals that there is still evil present in this new heaven and new earth. Explain that. In Revelation twenty two eleven, towards the very last chapter of the book of revelation it talks about evil still being present in the new heavens and the new earth so if people are waiting for a new heavens and a new oh, earth and to hopefully be the new heaven and new created, earth will be a place per- that's perfect and all only good and yeah nothing bad will be there this then they're waiting for a wrong place if they believe that this new heaven and new earth yeah, because if you're waiting here's the number two there. Yeah. living water is jesus right we all agree with that mm-hmm. living water of life is a new covenant reality it's present and accessible the problem with this water is that it's located in the New Jerusalem according to Revelation 22, verse 1. So either we have living water now in Jesus or we have to wait for it because it's in the new heavens and the new earth. So if we can drink freely of this water according to John chapter 4, but it's located in the New Jerusalem, then the New Jerusalem, you and I, is a present reality. Yeah. Number three... Same argument for the tree of life. Most Christians believe that you can eat from the tree of life, but according to Revelation 22, 2, it's located in the New Jerusalem. So all of these, again, remember when it talks about the New Jerusalem or the new heavens and the new earth, it uses a specific Greek word, which we'll talk about here in a second, because it's not talking about new in nature. It's talking about, uh, I can't remember off the top of my head. Do you remember? Yeah, what? it's, it's uh, not hey. new in nature. It's new in time or origin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Greek word kainos. Or it's is, in nature, nature equality, not time here, or I found origin. It. In yeah. Revelation 21, 1 through 4, the Greek word kainos is used for new, not neos, which means new in nature or in quality, not new in time or origin, which is, is beautiful. So in this book, Transitioned, we address this conversation about the new heavens and the new earth, something that many people have misunderstood. Remember, from last week, we talked about no passage of scripture can mean something today that it would have never meant to the original audience. So Jesus said in Matthew 5, 18, one of the biggest verses that gets misunderstood that people go to, 
It says, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Right, and this is the verse people go to to say why we should still be living under law today. How we can't just throw out Old Covenant. We can't just throw out the Mosaic system. We can't throw out the Ten Commandments because Jesus says, until heaven and earth disappear, and heaven and earth, I mean, earth, we're standing on earth, earth still remains, so obviously we still have to be living under law as well. So, right, that, that's the confusion, and that's what people believe. So explain that. What so, does that mean to a, to a Jew in the first century? Well, remember how the last episode we talked about coming on the clouds was a figure of speech, and I saw Satan fall like lightning, both figures of speech, uh, Hebrew idioms. According to Deuteronomy 31, 26 through 28, the Mosaic law or the temple system is called literally the heavens and the earth in the Old Covenant. Peter explained in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 7, verses 10, and verses 13, that the new heavens and earth were established with the new covenant, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Revelation 21, uh, 4 through 7, again, we talked about the Greek words and how it, it's not a, talking about new in nature or in quality, or, or not new in time and origin, but new in nature and in quality. This is not talking about a new place, but a new type of people. people. No longer about yep. going to a temple, but recognizing that we are the temple of God and God dwells within us. Remember, people in the Old Testament did not ever have the spirit of God living within them, which is why they needed the priest system and the temple system. Right. When you look up the Old Covenant and read through stories in the Old Testament, the spirit came upon people, but the spirit never dwelled in people. So that's why even someone who would say that they're like the least follower of Jesus today still has it way better than anybody, even the saints of the old covenant mm -hmm. and in the old Testament. Why? Because the spirit of the living God dwells in them. It yeah. just doesn't come upon them and then leave them, you know, back and forth or whatever. Like it's a permanent identity and permanent presence that we have with the spirit. Yeah. And this might take some time to really learn and address and conquer some religious ideologies that have been taught to you about how you need to get more of God or, uh, I mean, I just feel distant from God, or I, I haven't been doing much in my part with my faith journey with God and whatnot. And all that stuff is, is just bull crap because God is permanently present with you, regardless if you follow him, regardless if you choose him, regardless if you live crazy or not. He is permanently present with you, trying to get your attention to remind you that you're not what you do. You are who he is or who you are is defined by how he views you and you are his beloved. We also address it on the very next page in our book on pages 56 to 57. Yeah. This very, idea of the end of the world end of the and world. what that really means. Yeah. So go ahead, take this off. Yeah. So the disciples just ask in Matthew 24, verse three, they asked Jesus, when will this happen? That and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Mm -hmm. And again, people think that end of the age is talking about a possible end of the world, like this way future apocalyptic event that's going to wipe out everything, wipe out the earth and create a new one. But remember, right, the disciples were not asking about his future return because at this point they didn't even know that he was going to be leaving them. Right. So that's not what they were asking. Jesus tells them when this would all happen. And he explains it very clearly later on in that same chapter, Matthew 24, and in verse 34, speaking of like the end of the world or the end of the age, he says, truly, I tell you, this generation, the generation that's alive right now, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. And even Revelation 1, 7 says this would happen. And those who pierced him, right? Those who crucified him, would be alive. So within 40 years, that's a generation. 
everything that Jesus predicted had in fact come to pass. He was not predicting the so-called end of the world, like he was going to establish this new earth. He was predicting the end of the age. Well, what is the age? He was predicting the end of the Mosaic old covenant age in the beginning of a brand new age that we now live in called the new covenant. Yep. Direct access to God. And what we kind of skipped over in Matthew 24, you know, Jesus goes on to talk about famines and peace, earthquakes, wars, earth, rumors, all of wars, this stuff. all this stuff. Yeah. So people get on this bandwagon because one, they don't understand the cultural context, but you have to remember all those things happened. Actually, you can read about them in Josephus's writing, mm-hmm. who was uh, not a Christian who recorded, he was a historian who recorded the events of what happened in the first century. Right. And there were famines, there were earthquakes. From there the were, time of Jesus's of crucifixion and resurrection for that next 40 years, there was everything that Matthew 24 talked about everything was in his accounts. All of it. All of it. So people like see, you know, this Hurricane Ida and see all the wars that have happened, us pulling out of Afghanistan. And people, oh no, the end times. Guess what? People have been screaming the end times for centuries. And that's what happens when you don't understand the revelation that Jesus lives in you. Mm -hmm. So many people are screaming and waiting, God, come fix this place. And 2,000 years ago, God gave you the spirit for us to fix it. Right. Yeah, I think I talked about this before, but I love that meme where there's this dude on a park bench with Jesus, mm-hmm. and he's like, man, Jesus, I just am so ready for you to come back and do something about all these wars, and there's people that need food and you know, medicine and help, and when are you going to come back and do something? And Jesus, like, there's like a little you know box there, and, he, and Jesus is like, man, I was getting ready to ask you the same question. Yeah. <laughs> when are you going to do something about it? Yeah. I love that idea. It, that well, people don't like it because it requires responsibility to do your part in your own circle of influence. And how easy would it be for us to just sit back, do nothing, and keep praying, God, please come back. God, please come back. God, please come back. And not to get super controversial because um, I don't know where I'm at with a second coming of God, but in my opinion, how can Jesus come back when he never left? He lives in you. That should that should cause you to wrestle some of your ideology that you have around this thing that we were taught in church. Um, yeah, and mo- and just since you already went there, and most people believe that when Jesus is coming back, he's going to be riding this white horse, his robe dipped in blood, he's got a sword, and they think he's going to come back on a horse and start slaughtering a bunch of people. Yeah, does that sound like Jesus of the gospel? I don't think so. Yeah, <laughs> and so it, it's just the picture again that it's apocalyptic genre that Revelation was written in. And so that's what we talked about last week, how to understand, right? Scripture. And so the coming on the clouds, the thing that we talked about last week as well, it was pointing to the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem by Rome, 70 AD. Yep. That's why this date is so important for Christians to understand because it changes the way you read the Bible. It changes the way you understand covenants. It changes the way you even relate to God today because we're not waiting for anything from God. We already have every spiritual blessing. And all the promises, I learned this on a podcast today that I was listening to, it says that the promises were given yes and amen to the seed of Abraham, singular, not plural, Mm -hmm. which means there are no promises to us. There's one promise, and his name is Jesus, and we reap the benefit of all of that because Jesus lives in us. Yeah, well, because we love to quote that verse, all the promises of God are yes and amen, Mm -hmm. but then we don't finish it. It says, in Christ. Like Christ. It's him. It's Jesus. (laughs) Yeah. And so we have every spiritual blessing that you will ever, ever need because of Jesus Christ. And that power lives in you. So the question remains, how much of the kingdom of God do we currently have? Honestly, 
this is a pet peeve when people say the kingdom of God is, I, I can't remember fully what it is. It's like here, but not yet. Do you remember, do you know what that yeah. full, that phrase is? Now and not yet. Now and not yet. I can't stand this phrase because the reality is, is when you focus on the net, not yet, you don't realize that it is now. So many people are focusing on the not yet. And when you focus that, I think it removes your responsibility from the now because you focus on the, oh, it's going to get so much better. It, it's better right now. Think about how better, how much better the world is in 2021 than it was even 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Like we have got to stop being so pessimistic and putting one news source or believing that Facebook theologians have all the right information and right statistics. Like you're, you're listening to a podcast that we're recording in an inner room on your smartphone that almost all of us have, right? Like, think about this. This is crazy. So how much of the kingdom of God do we currently have for Jesus? The kingdom of God was a present reality. This was his central teaching. The kingdom has never and was never removed from the earth. Yet if we believe that Jesus is coming back to establish his kingdom in the future, then we currently have none. And I would argue that Jesus always said, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he said that 2,000 years ago. It hasn't changed. The kingdom of God is alive and active. And he invites us to participate in its goodness. Yeah, speaking of that and speaking of kingdom, man, my dad just sent me uh, an amazing text on Sunday morning. He was like, man, I just noticed something from scripture and he didn't actually reference the verse, but he copied and pasted. I'm just going to read it. I don't know where this is found, but it it says, but the Jews who were not persuaded, oh, this is an ax becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, right? There's Jason that one of the, one of the early um, churchgoers and became a leader in the church in the book of Acts. He's turning like he's, he's doing amazing things for Jesus. And it says that these people got mad at him. They sought and brought him out to the people. But when they did not find them, they were, they, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city crying out. These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them. He's holding these people like Paul and, you know, Peter and all these people that are early disciples that are turning the world upside down. Jason has harbored them. And these are all contrary And they're all all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar saying there is another king. And then my dad says, I love that because they didn't bring Jason and these other people before the mob because they were getting people saved, because they were healing people, because they were delivering people from false religion or false gods, which they were doing all of those things, but they got arrested and they were ticked off because they were saying there is another king and his name is Jesus. So apparently they were preaching kingdom and the king. And he goes, this is just a simple thought, but the message of the king and his kingdom upsets the enemy and turns the systems of this world upside down. Let's keep doing it. Hmm. I just love that. Yeah. That's what we got. So in my opinion, we're not waiting for a new heavens and new earth. You are the new heavens and the new earth. Start making earth more like heaven. Because you have the power to do it. Yeah, I love it. Remember, you're loved, and there's nothing you can do about it.